amidst the many challenges that we face as believers, temptations to sin, opposition from the world, physical sickness, even relational difficulties, we need to be regularly reminded to stand firm. However, as David Platt points out in today's message from Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, our standing firm must be in the Lord. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, missions-minded resources over at Radical.net. We cannot stand in our own strength or rely on our own wisdom. For the sake of our unity, our sanctification, and our faithfulness to Christ's mission, we must look to God's Word and rely on His Spirit. Here's Pastor David with a sermon titled, The Church, a Family that Stands Firm Together, from Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with or you can pull up somewhere, let me invite you to open with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter four. And while you're turning, you may have noticed on the screen there that there are a few other people in the room today than have been in the past. So we are uh, continuing kind of the process of uh, inviting a few more people to join in and, and learn protocols for how to keep people as safe as possible. I've got to tell you, so I just took my mask off. We're wearing masks in here and singing with a mask on. This thing is like drenched with saliva. Um, so you, you definitely don't want to be six, anywhere close to six feet uh, close to me uh, when I am singing. So uh, anyway, all that to say, we are beginning a series today entitled, We Could All Use Some Good News. We're reading through the Gospels, so through the good news in our daily Bible reading plan. And by the way, just as a reminder, the Pray the Word podcast goes along with that Bible reading each day. So just five minutes each day, just praying a particular verse based on uh, the, uh, from the chapter that we're reading that day, in addition to Facebook uh, live prayer gatherings every day at noon. Then on Sundays, starting today, we're walking slowly through Philippians chapter four. And for all who are up for the challenge, we're memorizing Philippians four together. So starting with verse one this week. And then, finally, each Sunday, we are highlighting a story of good news in our church, our city, and the world around us. We're asking you to submit stories, so go to mclanebible.org slash goodnews and tell us a story of good news that either you've experienced in your life, you've observed in someone else's life, and we're going to highlight one of those stories every week, which leads me to introduce you today to Justin and Molly Woodruff. So in the video that I think you're about to see, uh, you're gonna hear them talk about how before they even moved to Metro DC, God had worked in their hearts in a way they did not see coming. And then in God's sovereignty, uh, the military brought them here where they became a part of NBC for a while. They went to Ethiopia with us. Uh, I think that's where I first met Justin. But they live in Stafford and decided it would be best to invest their lives in a church in their community. So that's what they're doing. And they're actually helping lead a ministry there based on their experiences. So um, assuming this video is going to work, I want to invite you to watch this story of good news in Justin and Molly Woodruff.
I'm Justin and this is Molly Woodruff and we've been married for 17 years and as of right now we have nine children in the house under the age of 11. And we've been fostering and adopting a combination thereof for the last several years. 2019 was exciting because we adopted two children out of foster care and two children from Liberia. Um, we have four biological kids, two, or three girls and a boy. I also read the book Radical by David Platt, which just made me realize that the Bible is speaking to me. And I took verses, um, I don't want to say more seriously, but it just awakened my faith to be like, this is for you too. Like these commands are not just for other people to do. So um, I thought we need to just sign up to foster just to do something. So in Arkansas, we went through foster training. Yeah, and I was reluctant. I was the guy who thought we were overwhelmed with life. So I said no initially, and they offered a free dinner. So we went to the dinner, and the lady had a bunch of facts and information, and it was good, but I was really just focused on my chicken and my Diet Coke. And then this high school girl got up to the front of the room, and I forget her name, and she shared her story. And at a young age, she was abandoned and abused, and her mom went to prison, and she was put in the foster care system. And she's telling the story, she's crying. And so I stopped and listened. And then she started talking about how she bounced from home to home to home. But finally, a woman, an older lady, single woman, brought her in as a foster child. But she loved this girl. She didn't just foster her, she loved her like a daughter. And then she adopted her. And in the process, she taught her about Jesus Christ. And this beautiful little girl grew up into a high school young woman. And she's up there talking weeping and she says and I gave my life to Christ and I know that I'm beautiful and I'm loved and I have purpose in this life and it's because of this woman right here and the mom walks out and I'm crying I think everybody's crying I turned them all and she's filling out the papers so we thought well guns up let's do this we're going to be a foster family so that's how it started and so it's not because we're a great family we didn't have things squared away in fact we were overwhelmed with life but that's how it started and then shortly thereafter we got our first placement a two-day-old baby girl who was positive for opioids and, and that first couple of weeks rocked our world. Right. And we had uh, a couple step out and just help us out for a night. So we were able to sleep, which was amazing. It's awesome to go into foster care with a community so you can help each other out. Um, another friend uh, would watch the baby overnight. Mm -hmm. She ended up adopting her, which was such a cool God story in itself too. And then moving to Stafford, we wanted to foster. And I think through God, God's sovereignty, the office said, we don't need foster parents right now. So we said, okay, well, let's, we're getting old. Let's start uh, an international process. So six months into the international process, the county called and said, we have two little boys. Can you take them? Sure. And so they said it would just be for a short period of time. And so we thought we got a year and a half till the foster, or I mean, till the adoption will be complete. So we brought them in and then we had them for six months and then a year and then about 16 month point we get a call from the adoption agency hey your boys are ready in liberia it's time to go like what so we we sold my truck and got a big van a 15, 15 passenger van and we went to liberia and we picked up the boys and brought them home and then two months later we adopted christopher and Jaden. and so we went from a family of six to a family of eight and then we thought man now we are maxed out and then about four months ago we got a call and through a series of circumstances, we've been placed with their Jaden and Christopher's half sister. And we are we are in the process of fostering her now. We'll see what God does with that. So we didn't have this planned out. This was not part of my plan. God has used this to just humble us completely. Uh, and we only do this by his grace through his power. And we are 
I'm so thankful for the community of Christians who've come alongside us in little and big ways to watch the kids, to bring us food, to bring us the giant table in our kitchen or in our living room that we, we, we can fit around. Um, it's incredible. So in this particular ministry, like, absolutely, we need foster families. We need families that are willing to adopt. We need a, an entire church to step up and come alongside in big and little ways uh, to speak to the world around us. Like we care about orphans and widows in their distress. Like we do more than just talk. And I want to be careful. This is not Molly and I do anything. Like we, we are, we're, pr- we're lousy people. We're saved by grace through faith. We need Jesus, right? Uh, but we've experienced through this ministry, uh, the blessing, the promise of scripture in practical ways. It's super challenging, it's exhausting, but it is so worthwhile compared to all the other things we've chased after. So I wanna I want to do something uh, a little unique. I want to uh, call up Justin and Molly since they're at home right now. At least I think that's where they are. We're about to find out. Uh, so. Uh, all right, here we go. See if this can work. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear. Hey, David. What's up, Justin? How you doing, man? Yeah, uh, we're just sitting here <laughs> laughing at ourselves on the big screen. That's great. <laughs> it's like it's really hard, like looking at yourself on a screen. Isn't it? Uh, I'm sure you've never experienced that. <laughs> right. It's it's awkward. I mean, I don't want to discourage you. I think you guys look great. But whenever, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, and just just to know, there's like, yeah, like ten thousand people watching at the same time. Like, so uh, anyway, so yeah. What what is what does Sunday mornings look like at you guys' house right now? You know, we uh, are going to a small church down south and we're meeting outside now so after with this phone call we're going to head down south and uh, meet for a church gathering that's great that's great uh so uh, and do you are you right now surrounded by nine children or are they like scattered everywhere in the in the house uh, we have we have one our oldest child kyra's in the room you want to say hi hi uh the other eight are downstairs too we did they're not as well behaved as the flat family on Monday night, so we didn't know what they might say or do, so we went with the conservative route. Instead of That's good. Well, I mean, the key is like threats. Uh, just, uh, just <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm totally just playing. So, uh, hey, listen, like, uh, I just want you to know, and uh, obviously we could have had this conversation, and I could have told you this uh, just between you and Molly and Kyra there and your family and me, but I want you to hear it from. Uh, this NBC church family, that we praise God for his grace in you. We are encouraged by how all throughout that video you made it clear that it is God's grace in you, and, uh, and we just want to celebrate God's grace in you. So uh, if it's all right with you, we as church family that obviously you guys were a part of, and we are so glad you're pouring into church right there in the community, but we want to uh, just uh, celebrate God's grace in you by sending you guys. I can only imagine the grocery bill for <laughs> nine children. And so we're going to send you a $500 grocery gift card to celebrate God's grace in you. Is that all right with you guys? Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, man, it is a tiny token of, uh, yeah, our, our gratitude for who you guys are and what you guys are doing. So can I pray and lead us, all these people that were just watching you on that video, to pray for you guys? 
Uh, we would love that. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Uh, God, we praise you for your work in Justin's life, in Molly's life, and the way you brought them together, and the way you formed their family. We praise, praise you for your grace in Kyra's life right there, and all eight other kids who are downstairs. God, we, we pray that you would strengthen them for every day, that your mercies would be new for them every morning. That amidst every, I just I think about as a dad, like wanting to shepherd each of my kids' hearts, I pray, we pray that you would give Justin and Molly wisdom to know how best to shepherd each of those children's hearts. And we pray in a Psalm 127 way that these these arrows that their quiver is full of would in the days to come uh, grow and be released into the world in ways that resound to your glory far beyond what we could ask or imagine right now. We pray for every one of those kids that they would know your love for them. They would know you, Jesus. They would walk with you and they would glorify you with the breath that you have given to them, each one of them fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Bless the Woodruffs, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Molly, uh, what, what's the secret? Like, first to putting up with Justin and then with nine kids. What's the secret? Uh, well, I do have some great friends that take some kids away for a few hours some days. <laughs> and obviously it's Jesus, that whole term coming to the end of yourself. Um, mm. I'm starting to understand what that means. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it's a powerful reminder and I'm so thankful for how God is using you guys to lead out in that ministry there because it definitely takes the church together to care for children in need. So, hey, we love you guys and uh, talk to you guys later. Love you too. Love Thank McLean. you. <laughs> right, see you all. Bye. Oh. All right, good news. We're going to celebrate good news every week. Every week we're going to celebrate good news because, like, let's just be honest, we're, we're inundated with bad, discouraging, divisive news on our phones and online and on TV all day long. And if I could just put my cards all on the table from the start, like my heart is really heavy today. Like it's heavy when I look around us in the world amidst protests and politics and oh yeah, a pandemic. But my heart isn't just heavy when I look around the world. Like my heart is most heavy when I look around our church. So here's what I see, or better put, here's who I see. I see brothers and sisters weary from a pandemic unlike anything else any of us has ever seen. I see people discouraged in different ways, disoriented, not sure what to do, how to live during these days, some itching to get out, some afraid to get out. I see brothers and sisters who for about 100 days now have hardly been able to see each other in person 
unable to hug or give a handshake to each other, unable to pray or sing a song of worship together. Then you add on top of all that a country and a world inundated by protests over race and justice, leading to all kinds of emotions and conversations and questions and concerns. I see brothers and sisters who have gone to McLean Bible Church for a long time who are concerned when you hear about conversations concerning race in the church because you don't see a problem with race in the church and you start to wonder what's going on, whether or not the church is leaving the Bible behind and becoming like the world and start to think about things like critical race theory or identity politics. And do we try to make other people feel guilty for the color of their skin? Any number of other unknowns. And then I see brothers and sisters who have been fluctuating between anger, sadness, and sheer exhaustion as you've been processing tragic deaths that we've seen not just on headlines but in videos. And some of you have experienced varying degrees of racial prejudice in the world and in the church, including even our church. And you're weary of that reality being ignored or misunderstood or maybe even denied altogether. And you wonder if the church is actually a safe place to process that hurt and pain. You wonder if people around you are willing or even able to acknowledge, much less share in hurt and pain in your life and others' lives. And I could keep going on all day long like this because I see literally thousands of brothers and sisters with different perspectives and different questions and different struggles with different things in life and family and the church which is why I love the passage that in God's providence we find ourselves in today. Like, we've been working on this for a while, that we would find ourselves in this text today. So here's the setup. Paul was in prison, physically separated from the Christians he's writing to, and they were being bombarded in two particular ways. One, with challenges in the world. So in the verses right before this, in Philippians chapter three, Paul talks about people whose minds are set on worldly things that were threatening their faith. I just look around at the world we live in, there are threats to our faith all around, like so much that is antithetical to God's word and antagonistic toward others on media, social media, just so much in the world that threatens to tear people apart. That leads then to the second thing that was bombarding these Christians, and that was challenges to unity in the church. So the world was affecting the church in this way. And all throughout this letter, Paul is calling these Christians to come together in the spirit of Christ, to turn aside from the spirit of the world, to come together in the spirit of Christ with the attitude and the mind of Christ. And the verse right after Philippians chapter four, verse one, which we'll look at on another day, Paul says, I entreat you, I urge you to agree in the Lord. So in that sense, I find myself today just wanting to urge our church in the same ways to come aside from the spirit of the world and in the spirit of Christ amidst such a divisive world and a divisive city. I'm zealous for the unity of our church in the Lord. 
which is why today I just want to speak to each of you straight from my heart, which I pray reflects God's heart. I literally want to speak straight from Scripture to each person in this church. So no matter who you are, what you look like, how long or short a time you've been a part of this church, amidst whatever is going on in your heart and mind and life right now, I just, I just wanna to say to you, Philippians chapter four, verse one, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Like amidst all the challenges in the world, amidst all the challenges to unity in the church, amidst anything and everything you might be facing right now, I want to urge you today to stand firm in the Lord. There's one command in this verse, one command, stand firm. It's interesting. If you back up in your Bible, just a few pages, you'll find yourself in Ephesians chapter six, where Paul uses that same word repeatedly. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to what? To stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle follow this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to, here it is, stand firm. Stand Therefore, let's just point out the obvious here. Like there are spiritual forces of evil led by the devil. Spiritual forces of evil led by the devil whose aim at this moment is for you to fall. Like just let that soak in right where you are sitting right now. The few in this room, everyone else, just right where you are sitting, there are spiritual forces of evil working right now to make you fall. Just feel that for a minute. They want you to fall. They want your mind and your heart to fall. They want your relationships around you to fall. They want your marriage to fall. They're working to bring your marriage down. They want your children to fall. They want your faith to fall. And they want us to fall. There are spiritual forces of evil who want our church, they want McLean Bible Church to fall. There's spiritual force of evil who want me as a pastor to fall. They want other pastors and leaders to fall. They want members of this church, every single one of you, they want to fall into worldliness, into division. And God is calling us in his word to stand 
firm in the Lord. God's not saying stand on yourself. Stand on your thoughts and your ideas and your perspectives and your opinions. God never tells us to stand there. That's what leads to worldliness and division every time. Every time. Standing on yourself, you look back in chapter three of Philippians, verse 19, that leads to, the word is destruction. So it's at this point, I I just wanna pause and say to everyone who's listening right now, that there is a devil and there are spiritual forces of evil who want you to fall for all of eternity. They want you to fall forever. You and I, all of us, have sinned against God. We've turned from God's way to our own way. Our sin separates us from God and if we die in our sin before God, we will spend eternity in judgment for our sin in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. This is the destination for all who stand firm on themselves. And I want to urge you today, even as I'm speaking to the church, like if you have never put your trust in Jesus as Lord, never stood in the Lord to do that today. Jesus has died on a cross to pay the price for all your sin against God. He is risen from the dead in victory over sin and the grave. And he has made it possible for anyone, anywhere to stand in eternal life forever and ever and ever. And I wanna plead with you today to turn from yourself and sin and to trust in Jesus, to stand for the first time in the Lord today. And then when you do, to live there. This is, this is the word of God saying to us, stand firm in me. Now, this is interesting. Again, we'll get to this more uh, in another day, but in the very next verse, Philippians chapter four, verse two, Paul says, I entreat, so I urge, I beg, Yodia and Syntyche to agree, use the same phrase, in the Lord. So Paul is not just advocating for some vague, ambiguous unity in the church amidst threats to disunity. He's calling for a clear, concrete standing and agreeing in the Lord. So let me pause at this point and tell you about a process that is going to take place, Lord willing, over the next five or so weeks on Sunday nights for whoever wants to be a part. So our world is talking a lot right now about issues of justice and race. And starting with a sermon on Psalm 133 a few weeks ago, to events in our country since then, it's become evident to me that we do not have a clear unified understanding across our church of what the Bible says about how the gospel and the church relate to issues of justice and race. And as a result, there are all kinds of questions, concerns, some things I've heard that I'd sure be concerned if that's what a pastor was saying. 
Other things we really need to dive into because amidst this conversation around us, there are all kinds of temptations to worldliness, temptations to just think like the world thinks, and temptations to division, meaning we're tempted to share our opinions, and if some disagree, we conclude maybe we can't be in the same church. And I desperately want to lead us to stand and agree in the Lord on God's word, not on the ideas of this world. On God's truth, not our opinions. Not my opinions, not your opinions. Or opinions we read from others here or there. To stand as the church of Jesus Christ around the mind of Christ. So here's the plan. The elders of our church, the staff in our church, and any of you who want to be a part are gonna walk through a journey over the next five weeks in which we're gonna pray and fast together. We're gonna open God's word together. And we're gonna ask God to show us what he thinks about justice and race. So, Micah chapter six, verse eight. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So we're gonna ask together, how do we do what God requires? Like that's strong language. So how do you and I do justice? If we're required to do this, then what does that mean? What does that word mean? There's a lot of things this world says that word mean. What does God say that word means? How do we do justice and how do we love kindness? How do we walk humbly with God in this time and place in which God has put us in a way that's faithful to his word in a way that never, ever compromises his word in a way that holds fast to the gospel that never, ever dilutes the gospel and in a way that promotes justice and kindness for our neighbors and our nation and the nations. So our goal over the course of these five weeks is to take all the questions and concerns that come into many of our minds as soon as we start thinking about these issues and to work together in the Lord in prayer and fasting around God's word to create a clear biblical statement that summarizes what the Bible teaches about how the gospel and the church relate to issues of justice and race. And in the end, not just to put something down on paper together, but to express our resolve as a multiracial church to do what is required of us, to do justice with the gospel, with God's word in our lives and our families and our family together as a church and our work together in the world. So if you wanna be a part of this, you are invited. But there is commitment involved. So we're gonna walk through five modules on Sunday nights from 7 to 10 p.m. 10 p.m. All this will be remote, online, so you can do it from wherever, even if you're traveling at some point. But if you're gonna be a part, you must be a part of all five modules because they build on each other. There's one book that we're gonna read together outside of the Bible called Divided by Faith. It's just, it just uses research to show challenges to unity in the church, in our country. And then you'll be required to fast 
for at least one meal each week, as long as that's physically possible or wise for you, to fast at least one meal each week before we come together and to submit reflections each week in between each of these modules. And in this way, you will be a part of putting together the statement about the gospel, the church, justice, and race. So I've, I've n- not, never done anything like this across an entire church, but I want anyone who wants to be a part of seeking God and summarizing what he says about the gospel, the church, justice, and race to have that opportunity. So this will start next Sunday night, June 21st. So if you want to sign up, you need to do so by next Saturday, June 20th. In other words, you need to do so this week. If you don't sign up this week, then you won't be able to be a part because you have to be a part of all five modules. So you can sign up. I'm just gonna show you. You go to mclanebible.org. This is the pop-up button that immediately comes to you. When it talks about remote classes and groups, you just say, take your next step with us. That will take you to this next step page. You can go directly, mclanebible.org slash next steps. But this is how you get there, just from the front of the website. You click on connection at this point. That opens up to all kinds of ways for you to be connected online. You scroll down and it says new online classes. And I should make a plug. There's a variety of new online classes that are starting from questions about Christianity, mental health and faith. There's men's morning Bible study through Colossians, art of marriage, financial peace. But then you'll see right over here, the gospel, the church, justice and race. So Sunday's June 21st through July 26th, excluding July 5th weekend, July 4th uh, weekend. So you click there on learn more, it'll pop up and that's where you can find out information, the book we're reading and register right there. So that's how you do it. If you want to be a part of this, I invite you to go here today, sometime this week, before next Sunday. You gotta do it by next Saturday. So there are so many questions in the church that people have whenever these terms are even mentioned. Like questions, frustrations, confusion, concern, much of which I would say is warranted. Like there are all kinds of examples in church history of people talking about social issues or justice and leaving the gospel and God's word behind. And you know what? There's also all kinds of examples in church history of people talking about the gospel and preaching God's word while turning a blind eye to injustice. And God clearly calls us to hold fast to the gospel, to be faithful to his word, and to do justice. So how do we do that in the Lord? That's what we're after. And it's not just us. So this is what the Bible told Christians 2,000 years ago to be after. I want you to look back with me at Philippians chapter one, verse 27. So this is, in a sense, like the theme verse of this book in the Bible. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So be worthy of the gospel gospel, holding fast to it, so that whether or not I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are, here it is again, same word we are reading in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving, I love this language, side by side, for what? What are we striving side by side for? For the faith of the gospel, yes, that's, 
That's it. Like members of McLean Bible Church, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ and stand firm together in one spirit with one mind, striving. Yes, let's strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Yes, yes, yes. This is what we want. This is what God wants for our family. So, do you see the language? So now go back to Philippians chapter four, verse one. I keep using the word family. Why, why do we use that kind of terminology? Well, because Paul writes to the church and he does this all over the place. He says, therefore, my what? My brothers. And we know sisters are included here because the next two verses speak specifically about individual women in the church. And this is language that the Bible uses over and over again to describe the church as a family. This is biblical language of brothers and sisters, and it's powerful imagery. It's a unique family. I talk about tension. We got to remember, this was a day when Jews and Gentiles were extremely divided from each other. Like You didn't eat at the same table with a Gentile if you're a Jew. Like don't get close to them. And Paul, who's writing this, was once a proud Jewish man. You look back in chapter three, verse four, Paul writes, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence, like pride in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, Paul says, I am Jewish to the core and I was proud of it. Until Paul met Jesus, and some things started to radically change. Like up until that point, he was persecuting Christians. But now he was calling them family. Up until that point, Paul hated Gentiles. But now he's writing a letter to a church with many Gentiles saying, you're my brothers and sisters. This was strange countercultural and hard. Like, there were so many challenges that came with Jews and Gentiles being together in the same church and so many temptations for them to separate and have a Jewish church over here and a Gentile church over there to do what we're so often tempted to do amidst so many issues. And Paul's addressing these kinds of issues in Philippians, that they're threatening the unity of the church, which is why, and I don't think we often realize this, but so much of the New Testament is actually written to keep the church together. Like, listen, just a quick sampling. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers. I'm appealing, I'm entreating, urging you, brothers. There it is, family language. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so unity around Christ, that all of you, Agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. To the church at Ephesus, Paul writes, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, the language is so emotionally, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's similar to what we see in Philippians chapter one, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain what? The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. To scatter churches, Peter writes, finally, 
all of you have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Which is why it's no surprise to see earlier in this letter to the church at Philippi, Paul writes, if there is any encouragement in Christ in the Lord, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, just listen to the language here, sympathy, complete my joy by being what? Of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than you. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind. What's the mind that we need to have among you? Paul says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Apparently, working for unity in the church has been a challenge for two thousand years and unfortunately we live in a day where we can run from this work right let's be honest like we can we can find another church down the street that fits more with our preferences or aligns more with our style or makes us more comfortable you look at church growth in america so much of it is due not to people coming to christ but due to people just switching churches And it makes me wonder what would happen if we really pressed in together and did what God himself is telling us to do in these verses. Like if we pray together, we fast together, we open his word together and with affection and sympathy and love and humility, the very attitude of Jesus himself. Like it takes, come back to Philippians 4.1, a unique family to do that kind of work. A kind of family that's marked by, so follow this, love. A family that's marked by love. And the word Paul uses here is the strongest, richest, deepest possible word for love in the Greek language. And if if that wasn't sufficient, he then ends the sentence by saying, my what? My beloved. We read that word in our Bible reading this last week, Matthew chapter three, when God the Father, as Jesus was baptized, said, this is my what son? My beloved son. Think about that. This is how Paul felt for the church like the father feels for the son. That's powerful. I'm not assuming that I'm to the level Paul was, but I think this is why I've been sick to my stomach over recent weeks and not sleeping. Because I, I hear from church members who are hurting some from issues of racial tension in our country. Others from confusion or frustration in the church from so many different sides. And others who are just struggling in life, in marriage, with kids, 
who are far from the Lord, who are struggling with sin, finances, struggling with faith. It sure makes me long for us to be together in our different locations. Like the church is a family marked by longing. How appropriate is that word in a pandemic? Now, let's, let's make this clear. I'm glad I'm not where Paul was when he wrote this letter, so I'm not in prison. But it is right to feel physical longing for church family. And even as we're testing out protocols to want to work together, we've said at different points, like we want, we want to be on the cutting edge of a variety of things, but large gatherings with thousands of people across our city in a global pandemic is not one of them. So we want to learn from others on this one, go slow, but know this, it's not for a lack of longing. And then there's these last two words that mark church family. And I'm going to call this, I'm going to write it down here at the bottom, I'm going to call this living for one another. And here's why. So these two words are fascinating. Paul calls the members of the Philippian church his joy and his crown. What is that about? Well, let's think about it. Think about joy. At the very beginning of this letter, Paul wrote Philippians chapter one, verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. Because of, why? Why do I pray with joy? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So did you catch that? Paul finds joy in partnering together in the gospel with these brothers and sisters. He loves celebrating the gospel with them. He loves sharing the gospel with them. He loves living according to the gospel with them, which is why he tells them. So we read it earlier in Philippians chapter one, verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that are standing firm in one spirit. We read this with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then he writes right after that, what we read in Philippians chapter two, that's when he says, so uh, let's start right here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, then he says, complete my joy. So same word that we see in Philippians chapter four, verse one, used here in Philippians chapter two, complete my joy. So Paul finds joy in what? In the church being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Paul finds joy, like the completion of his joy in seeing these brothers and sisters living according to the gospel, striving for the gospel, parting with the gospel in one mind. That's like joy to him, and I get it. That's what I long to see. Like what fills my heart with joy is seeing this church sharing the gospel, seeing hundreds upon hundreds of people baptized over the last year, like people coming to Christ, people growing in Christ, living according to the gospel, striving for the gospel in the world, like yes, 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 joy. It's just the deepest kinds of joy, which leads to, so now back to Philippians 4.1, leads to crown, crown. You read that, you might immediately think of like a headpiece for 
something for somebody sitting on a throne, but that's not the imagery here. The word for crown here is used in other places in the New Testament to describe like the victory wreath that an athlete might celebrate with at the end of a race, like the culmination of what you've run or trained or worked hard for. And that makes sense. So now come back to Philippians chapter one with me. Oh, Thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in prayer of mine, every prayer of mine for you, always making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Oh, don't have the next part that's supposed to be there. Ah, Bummer. Here's what it says. It says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So hold that in your mind. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Then he continues, it's right for me to feel this way about you all you because I hold you in my heart for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer. So what do I pray for the church? Paul says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what's Paul praying for? Now think about it. what is Paul living for here? Paul is living to see these brothers and sisters stand complete on the day of Christ, to be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Like picture Paul in a race. Like what is the, what is the motivation that Paul is running for at the end. The prize is people standing complete on the day of Christ. That's, that's what he's running for. That's why he says, Philippians chapter four, verse one, you're my crown. And that's why he tells them, because that's what I'm living for, so stand firm in the Lord, because he wants, he's living to see them stand firm in the Lord. Let me show you this one more place. 1 Thessalonians chapter two. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse 19. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica this time, and he says, for what is our hope, or listen to these two words, joy or crown. Sound familiar? What is our hope or joy of crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming, when he comes? Is it not you, you, For you are our glory and joy. (laughs) Like, yes. This is Paul living. Like, this is what my life is about, Paul says. It's living to see you as brothers and sisters standing firm in the Lord on that day. And just in case you think I'm making this up, look down in verse eight of 1 Thessalonians chapter three. Paul says, for now we live if, you are standing fast, standing firm in the Lord. That's familiar language. You hear that? Paul says, I live to see you stand fast in the Lord. That's why I live, that's why I get up in the morning. It's what I'm working for, it's what I'm running for, it's what I'm toiling for, that's why I'm not sleeping because I live to see you stand firm in the Lord. Again, I I don't don't presume I'm Paul or anywhere close to it. 
But if there is one verse that summarizes what I feel as a pastor, it's this verse. I live to see you stand fast in the Lord. Like I live for them. Like I ran into a few church members this week. I say ran into like socially distanced. But they were, they were telling me as I was talking and they were telling me about how they were growing in their relationship with Christ. And I just thought, I live for this. One of them told me about being rushed to the hospital a few months ago and almost dying. Doctor said 97% of people with what he had would have died. And in tears, this brother told me how in that ambulance he had such peace. He loves his wife and he loves his kids, but he said, I had peace, David, because I was, I was ready to see the Lord. And I live for you to be able to say that in that moment. Like, I live for that. That's, that's my joy. I, I live to see each one of you, no matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from, what you struggle with. I live to see you standing in the Lord. This is the thrust behind all that I shared last week about the new chapter of our church, efforts to get every single person in a group because I want every single one of you with people in your life close to you, caring for you, helping you to stand firm and you doing the same for them. Like, this is the kind of family the church is. People who love each other with the strongest, richest, deepest kind of love commitment that there is in our language. People who long for each other, who yearn for each other with the affection of Christ Jesus, who long yearn to strive side by side as partners in the gospel, and a people who live for one another. Who say, I'm not, not living for me. I'm living to see you stand in the Lord. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So, you bow your heads with me. I just want to ask you wherever you're sitting right now with your heads bowed, eyes closed, like, are you in the Lord right now? Like, if you were in that ambulance at this moment, which you could be in the next moment. So we were talking, this brother and I, he said, David, I just, I realize what you, what you say, what we see in God's word is true. Like, I'm not guaranteed another moment. So if you were in that ambulance at that moment, do you know you have peace with God? Do you know you have eternal life in God? The answer to that question is not like resounding yes in your heart. I invite you. I urge you. Just look to God right now in your heart and say, God, I need you to forgive me of my sin. God, I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, so I trust in you. 
trust in you to forgive me of my sin through what Jesus did on the cross for me, his resurrection from the grave for me. I turn from myself and I put my trust in you. I don't wanna stand on myself anymore. I wanna stand in you. Oh God, hear that prayer. I pray among many people right now. Bring many people right now to stand in you today. And God, we pray you'd help us to stay there, to stand there amidst everything going on around us in the world, in the church. God, we pray you'd help us to stand firm in you. And I pray before you for every single person listening right now. Please, oh God, help them to stand firm in In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. Don't forget the discussion questions that accompany every sermon. You can get those for free at Radical.net. And while you're there, you can explore thousands of more resources on this topic of membership and community, race and ethnicity, and spiritual warfare. We hope you will take time to browse our resources and use them for the advancement of the gospel where you live. And if you are 18 to 25 years old, we invite you to to risk great things for God's glory this summer for 60 days with the Elijah Project. Our prayer is that this 60-day challenge would awaken you to God's passion for the nations to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. The Elijah Project began on June 10th, but it is not too late to jump in. Just go to Radical.net and click on the Elijah Project. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us there at Radical dot net.